Good afternoon and welcome to this Euractive hybrid conference on Europe's wind power action plan supported by PGE. Uh, I'm Brian McGuire, lead the discussion uh, through this afternoon. You can follow the discussion at hashtag EADebates and please tweet your comments using the hashtag or social media team will engage with you there. And to ask questions today, we're using Slido. Uh, you'll see the uh, contact information on your screen, also in the studio here as well. Uh, the audience can send questions uh, through Slido. We'll bring those to the panel for discussion a little later on as well. Now, during her State of the Union address, Commission President Ursula von der Leyen stressed the crucial role of the wind industry in delivering the EU Green Deal, but also remarked that the industry is facing a unique, unique set of challenges. To address them, on the 24th of October, the European Commission announced its new Wind Power Action Plan aimed at maintaining a healthy and competitive wind energy supply chain. A supply chain with a clear and secure pipeline of projects, attracting the necessary financing and competing on a level playing field globally. The plan sets out immediate actions focused on six main areas. The acceleration of deployment through increased predictability and faster permitting, improved auction design, access to finance, a fair and competitive international environment, skills and industry management engagement, and member states' commitments. Will this make the wind industry a European success story. We'll see. We have a discussion panel uh, set for you a little later on. And uh, our keynote today, uh, just now, will be with uh, Dieter Jorgsen, uh, Director General of uh, DG Energy at the European Commission. It's my pleasure to welcome you today. Good Thank to see you. Thank you very much for that kind welcome. Thank you very much for having invited me here and for having organized what is an important discussion uh, around the European Commission's wind power package, the European wind power package or the wind power action plan uh, and the communication on offshore renewables that is linked to that, that were presented towards uh, the end of uh, October, the 24th of October, and that I think really are critical elements in our energy transition and therefore also critical components of our work to achieve climate neutrality by 2050 and reduce our greenhouse gas emissions by 55 in a way that, is, uh, um, uh, that also ensures uh, access to secure, affordable and green, clean uh, energy. Um, and my simple message here today really is that despite the significant challenges that the wind sector is currently facing um, in, in Europe, that the wind manufacturing industry is facing, uh, we do believe that there is a robust business case in the European Union for the wind sector and we need to make sure that we do everything we can at European level, at national level, at local levels to make that happen and to make sure that what has been a success remains a success. We see wind and wind power as one of the key pillars of our transition towards a clean and secure and affordable energy system. By 2030 we would expect wind energy to supply more or less a third of our electricity. That's a very significant share, and again, it's a share that is necessary for us to reduce by 55% our greenhouse gas emissions. That requires us to multiply our wind generation capacity by two and a half times over the next few years. We are already installing record numbers over these last couple of years, 22, 23, were very, very good years in renewable energy, but we need to accelerate even further and do much more and at a different pace to make that happen. Of course, the wind sector is both an energy sector, an energy provider and part of our Green Deal, but it's also very much an industrial sector in the European Union, representing a significant number of jobs with the value chains, the supply chains being spread across the European Union. So far, the wind installations deployed in the EU have been provided mainly by European manufacturers, accounting for about 85% 
of the wind energy market and about 94%, so almost the entirety of the offshore sector. And we actually would like it to stay that way. And that's part of the reason for the wind power action plan. So despite this progress, as I said, we have seen that wind manufacturing in Europe has faced difficulties in operating the business. We see the largest wind turbine manufacturers having reported losses in 2022. Some of them have been doing better in the recent results, but still the situation is, is really challenging for the manufacturing and also for the project developers. And this is, of course, not a satisfactory solution or situation. And as I said, it is quite disaligned with the reality of significant installments and the reality of the goals and targets we have set ourselves for wind, uh, for wind power and wind manufacturing. We have done a lot already over these last few years as part of the Green Deal and as part of our drive for competitiveness. We have uh, put forward a Green Deal uh, industrial plan. We have put forward a Net Zero Industrial Act, the Critical Raw Materials Act, and we have provided a more simple and more flexible state aid framework to help accelerate uh, the green transition and the deployment of renewable energy. But we do see that despite these actions taken, we see uh, pressure on the wind sector, and we therefore found it necessary, our President Ursula von der Leyen, as she stated in her State of the Union speech, found it necessary to come forward with a wind sector-specific uh, action plan which is the one that was presented on the 24th of October, together with the offshore wind plan. And, and let me, uh, you've set out the main components of the action plan, so I'm not going to repeat what you said, but rather um, provide a few examples of what does that mean? How are we translating that into action? Because the key word here really is action. It is not a communication. It is not a, a strategy. It's an action plan because we need to make things happen to make the change that secures the European wind sector. Now, one example of what we're doing as part of the action plan is what we call the Accelerus Initiative, where we in the Commission will provide support to member states to help them implement the new permitting rules that have been agreed in the Renewable Energy Directive, and of course also the emergency permitting measures that were adopted last year. We also um, will work with member states to make sure that there is much better visibility and, and anticipation, more certainty about the planning of what are the projects that are planned, so that investors, manufacturers, um, know what they are working in and can plan their manufacturing and their capacity accordingly to make best use of the resources and to make sure that we are able to deliver what is actually planned. Um, the access to grids is a key aspect in that context. You need to make sure that if you invest in a significant uh, wind generation capacity that this will have access to grids and that the grids can, uh, can manage uh, those additional um, renewable electrons. And for that, we will be launching in just a few weeks uh, an action plan on grids that really should be seen as a supplement, a complement to the wind action plan. We've also seen that in the field of the auctions, as they have been designed and carried out across the European Union, where are things we can do better. We can be more uniform for more efficiency. It will make it easier uh, for companies to bid, but also for governments to design the auctions. Um, we also see that there is a tendency to focus very highly on price, for good reason, but that we need to make sure we build in qualitative components as well to address some of the uh, issues that otherwise have a negative impact for wind manufacturing. We need to make sure that we are able to address the high inflation and the high interest rates, and that we are able to design auctions in a way that take account of the, of the delays or non-executions of projects as well. Then we have concerns, or the sector has concerns, about access to finance um, more generally. 
And here we have to make sure that where possible there is access to financial support for mid-manufacturing, including European funds, uh, but also, for example, the European Investment Bank and that we, bank, and that we have the de-risking instruments that can help bring global investors, financial investors and institutional investors on board in this important sector for the European economy and for the European energy transition. Um, of course, there is a global context to all of this and part of the challenges in the sector is the global competition and what is not currently a level playing field in a global context. So we have to make sure that our internal market is resilient and that we make best use of our trade instruments and other instruments to build an international level playing field as well. And then a bit more long term, we know that the renewable sector, the green technology sector more generally, will require significant skills and different skills from what we have now. So we need to strengthen our skills base, we need to bring young people into um, educations and, and, and professions that will be needed as part of our energy transition and our climate transition. So we need to build the skills also for the wind industry in the future. So these um, commitments, what we, these actions we have set out in the action plan, as I said, it really is about actions and it is about immediate action. So we are already working to implement it. We're already working with member states and with the sector um, and, um, and trying to bring them on board as, a, as part of a wind charter that would hopefully be adopted before the end of the year between member states, industry and ourselves and the commission to make sure that there is real engagement and commitment among all actors. Now, I mentioned already that we, at the same time as the Wind Action Plan um, announced or adopted an offshore uh, renewables communication, following up on the earlier offshore energy communication that came out at the beginning of the mandate. Um, because under that first communication and under our work to plan infrastructure and plan investments, we have seen very, very significant uh, ambitions in terms of the long-term goals for the deployment of offshore renewable energy across the European Union. The overall ambition, if you put together the commitments made in the different sea basins across the European Union, that brings us to 111 gigawatt of offshore renewable generation by the end of this decade, so by 2030. This is almost twice as much as what was hoped for in the original offshore renewable energy strategy, where we set a target of at least 60 gigawatt. So uh, quite, quite an interesting overshoot and a very, very positive overshooting. And of course, we have to make sure that we have the best possible framework in place to make that happen. And therefore, the very, very strong link to the Wind Power Action Plan. And we need to deliver on this ambition of 111 gigawatt. Um, uh, and the communication together with the Wind Power Action Plan helps do that. Now, again, here there are some specific actions that we need to make sure are taken, that we make sure we are ready also when it comes specifically to offshore, because offshore will bring us the very significant capacity, really the gigawatts that are needed towards 2030. We need to strengthen offshore grids and the grids reinforcement inland, of course, are linked to that. So what we're working on there is to prepare a specific cost-benefit analysis and cost-sharing work. Um, and through offshore network development plans, we will increase the attractiveness of hybrid and joint projects. There are some regulatory aspects that will require clarification there, including in network codes, to make sure that there's clarity about the cost sharing and about the, about the impact of projects. We also see that offshore projects, especially the larger offshore projects, tend to be more complex and permitting can take even longer than in the case uh, of uh, onshore with the revision of the Trans-European Networks Regulation a few years ago and with the revised Renewable Energy Directive, we have taken significant steps to shorten and simplify permitting uh, with respect to, to offshore as well. 
And we will, as I mentioned earlier, really work more closely with member states and increase support for member states to implement the permitting provisions and to accelerate permitting. Um, I mentioned before the, the planning between in, in the different maritime, in the, in the different sea basins across the European Union. And they are, of course, working on maritime spatial planning, where we in the Commission will look for ways where we can move away from what has typically or traditionally been a, a national regime for plans to uh, build a stronger cross-border consultation to give regional planning, again, to accelerate the large offshore um, wind projects. And then we need to continue our work on research and innovation uh, to make sure that we have the best possible technologies, make sure that we innovate so that we can lower cost and increase efficiency also in the offshore renewable sector. We have Horizon Europe, of course, we have the updated set plan, both of which can provide support for the dedicated offshore technologies, including floating wind, which in some parts of Europe is a necessary technology to make offshore wind um, a reality. And then, of course, we need to pay attention to circularity, the recycling of materials, to manufacturing and societal needs. Circularity um, is critical all the more in the current challenging global markets and global geopolitical context when it comes to access to material and supply chains. Another important aspect of offshore specifically is, of course, the role of ports in the green transition. And here we need to make sure that we make best use of the two frameworks we have, the trans-European networks and energy and the trans-European networks and transport, that those regulatory frameworks are complementary and make sure that, uh, that we cover what needs to be covered. I already mentioned skills and of course the pact for skills also in this sector is critical in this, um, in this year of European year of skills, but the action on skills should not end with this year. We need to make sure that we take that, that, we take that forward. Um, so with that, I have come to my conclusion um, and would like to say that we have historically been absolutely leaders, pioneers in the field of the development of offshore wind and the wind sector in general. I gave you the figures at the beginning of, this, of the speech, the very significant share of our own market covered by European manufacturing, but also of global markets, you see a very, very strong European uh, present. So we need to make sure that we maintain that strength, that we maintain that leadership, both in terms of research and innovation, in terms of technology and skills, but also in terms of manufacturing, investment and deployment of renewables, both in the European Union, but also uh, beyond that. So thank you very much for that. And thank you again for organizing the event, which I think comes at a critical moment for the wind sector. Thank, thank you. you. Before you run off. Thank you so much for a concise and very clear uh, presentation of, of the overview of this. One particular question that struck me is the, the auction design. How do you think this new format of the auction design will help manufacturers? Very, very good question. And I think the auction design has, uh, it, it really is a central point of the plan. So in our work over, uh, over the, since the beginning of the year and over the summer to prepare the wind power action plan, uh, it came out very, very clearly from industry, from project developers, but also from governments, that the auction design is a bit of a challenge. And I think you need to take a bit of a go back a bit in history because auctions have typically been focused on price. And there's very good reason for that. We want to have the cheapest possible energy and uh, wind is a fairly low cost source of energy. And so, uh, and so there's been that focus on price to get most for taxpayers' money. And that's a good thing. Another reason for the focus on prices, of course, it's much easier to design an auction if you design it just around price. Then you can do a very simple uh, assessment, you've got clear uh, criteria, so it is simpler to work with. At the same time, the focus on price really risks driving either 
project promoters away, or it risks favoring those manufacturers that do not have the highest possible quality or that are not best placed uh, at developing the type of uh, technology that we need in Europe, or uh, manufacturers or project developers that do not necessarily respect our security interests or take them into account, or that do not necessarily respect the sustainability requirements in our sea basins. So in other words, an auction based exclusively on price will not favor European manufacturers. It will not favor Europeans because it doesn't give us the best longer term solutions or the best long term uh, projects. It will favor manufacturers from other parts of the world at a risk for our security, for our data security, for our infrastructure security, at a risk for our maritime sea, bait, for our maritime, uh, sea environment and the sustainability. And so we actually need to make it maybe a little bit more complicated, not too much, but we need to make it, we need to recognize the fact that qualitative requirements differ as well. And this is already possible in the European rules, but it is not done again because it's a little bit more complicated. So what we have tried to do in the plan is to look at how can you develop the qualitative requirements? How do you, how do you integrate that into the tenders and into the auctions without making it too complicated? And one of the ways of doing it is to favor pre-qualification criteria because you then very early, very upfront in the processes, it's clear that you have to respect the security requirements, the sustainability requirements, the quality requirements. And once you do that, then you will be assessed, obviously then primarily also on or price as, as one of the components. And one further reason for doing that is that what we have seen in recent auctions across Europe, both in the European Union and in neighboring countries, is that some of the auctions have had uh, minimum price requirements that simply have meant that they, that they failed. There was not enough interest in these projects. The projects were not viable. So it might have made sense from a budgetary perspective, but they simply did not work from an industry perspective because we have seen a, very, a combination of very high inflation and high interest rates that have increased the costs of these projects. So there are very, very good reasons to strengthen the qualitative requirements in auctions. There's good reasons to do it in a way that's as simple as possible. Uh, and of course, while making sure that we don't increase the price more than necessary, but making sure that we get the best possible wind uh, across Europe. Perfect. Dieter, thank you so much. Another round of applause for, for Dieter. Thank you. Thank you Pleasure. <laughs> now, if we invite our panelists to come take their seats as well, and uh, we'll begin our uh, panel discussion. Thank you. Each of you have a, a name on the seat, so you can find your spot. Thank you. So just so our guests get settled, and I can remind you that you can send questions on Slido. Uh, you'll have the QR code and the other code on screen. Our studio audience can also send questions on Slido, and we'll bring those during the course of the discussion, not just at the end. There you go, on screen, and not just at the end. And if you want to tell us who you are and where you're from in that question as well, that would be helpful. And if you have a specific question for a specific panelist, please put that in the question too, and we'll uh, try and address uh, that as well. So welcome to all of you. Thank you so much for taking time today. Let's introduce our, our panelists. We have uh, Anne Strubant, the Deputy Head of Cabinet at the Federal and Federal Minister for Energy at the Federal Government uh, of Belgium. Great to have you with us. Uh, we have uh, Morten Peterson at the end here as well, Vice Chair of the ITRA Committee at the European Parliament. Uh, you're leaving at 12.40, so I'm going to pile a whole load of questions towards you as in the earlier part of the discussion. Uh, we have uh, Pierre Tardieu, Chief Policy Officer at Wind Europe. Great to have you with us. 
and uh, Georg Zachmann, his uh, senior fellow at uh, Bruegel, and uh, Wanda Abuk, who's uh, vice president of regulatory affairs at PGE as well. Thank you all uh, for taking time to be with us. We're going to start in just 60 seconds, your elevator pitch, your key message uh, for uh, today as well. And I'll start with you, Anne. Okay. Um, so, yeah, thanks for having me, having me today. Um, I think from my side, a very important message that I would like to bring is that we really need these anticipatory investments. Not wait for the market signals to come, but actually um, try and develop the full potential of offshore wind um, the full potential of wind together with the potential of grid. So we, we really uh, welcome the grid uh, initiative that will be launched by the European Commission. And this to really secure the energy of supply within a European context, not per member state, but really looking at the independency of Europe as a whole, because as member states alone, we will not necessarily walk in the same direction. Thank you so much. Pierre. Just to be clear, the wind power package is exactly the right set of measures at exactly the right time. You know? um, we heard from Dita, uh, Europe needs wind and wind needs Europe because on the one side we've got very ambitious renewable energy objectives which are critical to meeting our energy security and climate objectives. Um, and that means that we need to boost and expand uh, the wind supply chain. But on the other hand, we've got a European wind supply chain that is constrained in its ability to invest because of a perfect storm. Uh, that Dita explained very well, inflation, higher interest rates, etc. And therefore, uh, the wind power package basically addresses these issues exactly head-on uh, in immediate, actionable ways. So now the, the, the question is, of course, the wind power package is not a magic wand. It requires you know, commitments being delivered on by the European Commission, national governments, and industry. Uh, but it's exactly the right route to follow going forward. Thank you so much. Gare. Um, yeah, thanks a lot for inviting us over here. Uh, the, um, um, my take is that wind has very special value in the, in the energy transition. So different from, from other technologies, uh, wind is uh, blowing in winter, wind is uh, happening in the north, wind is less correlated uh, across regions, and wind is relatively fast to, to deliver depending on, on swings in, uh, in, the, uh, in the demand. So in that sense, we need to look into what does wind deliver to us and how do we maximize this value that it is delivering to us. We don't want to have more wind production when the sun is shining and the, uh, and the system is floating with electricity. We won't necessarily want a lot of wind in, in regions that have uh, plentiful of alternatives uh, uh, that, uh, that are potentially cheaper, but we want a lot of the wind that is valuable. So go for the value of wind, not necessarily for the, for the terawatt hours, and design your support schemes in a way that you get most of the value for uh, consumers, and that will also enable us to get higher demand overall of, uh, for electricity and will benefit the industry thereby as well. Georg, thank you. Wanda. Um, actually, I think that some of you have heard a um, few months ago Fatih Birol saying that it's not the most crucial uh, part who wins the marathon at the first during the first mile, but it's super important who's going to win the, the, the last mile. And uh, the problem is that, for example, when it comes to uh, solar installation, we were, uh, Europe was pretty good at the very beginning of this marathon, but um, lost, uh, lost the place um, throughout, the, throughout the whole race. Uh, this is the, the last moment, I would say, not the 
the, the high time, but the last moment to react from the policymaker side to not, not lose also this race. And I'm very happy and I, we do welcome a uh, wind package that has been announced and uh, we do support the whole comprehensive approach presented here by DITA. Thank you. Morten. Well, to stay in the, the marathon analogy, I, I don't know if we even started this race because uh, my, my, my worry is that we don't see any final investment decisions out there. So, so clearly, uh, we, we're, we're not in a good place and, and, and Dita described this uh, very well. But, but uh, talking to people in industry, uh, I think we, we, I mean, these are, are really challenging times and, 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 and this has to be a, a, a wake-up call because my, my worry is that if we do not get our act together in this, then in, in five years' time, ten years' time, I mean, the industry is going to look completely different, uh, if at all, in, in, in Europe. So, sorry for being quite alarmist, but, but I, I think these are, are really worrying times in, uh, for, for the industry. Well, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's, let's, <laughs> let's do a bit more detail then. I've got to go now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your contribution. So, so, basically, let's start with, drill down a bit more on that. So, the, the wind power package. Uh, the defining elements of that is what we set them out at the beginning. Where do you find yourself most optimistic? Where do you think we can win quickly and and sustain those wins as well? Because I think this seems to be part of the the concern. It's like it's a good package. Everybody's talking the right language. It's the right moment, but where can this be delivered quickly, Morton? Well, I think there's a lot to be uh, to be said for for you know guidance on auction designs, for example, because you have member states. Uh, all are struggling with, with coming up with you know, right concepts or approaches. Is it the, the, the Dutch model? Is it you know, whatever kind of approach do you need to take? So I, I see a, a big playing field for the Commission and smart people to come up with also specifics in terms of guidance on auction design. And, and the qualitative criteria, I think we all would subscribe and adhere to this, but what is it at the end of the day? How, how do you do this? Also in a way that is transparent because uh, we couldn't and should not forget prices either totally right it still has to be in there in in the package uh, so so specific guidance or, or ideas or suggestions on on how to improve this is important and then at 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 a top level as well uh, i mean we we have to have this discussion also with member states on negative bidding that this is considered to be a cash cow for good reason i used to be a spokesperson on, on finance affairs back in in my, my country you know and and finance ministers all over europe are uh, have a great appetite also obviously for revenue and they should have so we have to come up with smart models on 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 this as well in order to avoid what is happening in uk in germany a lot of other places right now which eventually leads to no final investment decisions being taken so i think there's a lot to be said and the, and the package is extremely tiny, auction design and a wake-up call to finance ministries all over Europe on, on this negative bidding issue. That is important. Jump in. Yeah, I think it needs to be extremely clear. Europe cannot afford to have any more failed auctions at all. We can't lose a gigawatt along the way, yeah? When you look at the targets that um, national governments around the North Seas have committed themselves to um, by 2030, I mean, it's, it's a pretty daunting task, yeah? So... Um, we all need to, to really be laser focused on having the right auction design because um, uncapped negative bidding as we've seen uh, in Germany or literally failed auctions like we've seen uh, in the UK uh, simply cannot happen anymore, right? Um, 
The beauty of the wind power package is that everything is immediately uh, actionable. So it enhances, for example, the role of the European Investment Bank. Already now, the European Investment Bank can provide counter-guarantees yeah, to support the running uh, of the industry. Already now, the European Investment Bank can start financing investments in manufacturing, which it wasn't doing until very, very recently. Um, and permitting, I think we need to, we need to stay laser-focused uh, on that. Uh, that has been the main uh, bottleneck uh, until now. There are tools out there in order to automate, you know, uh, work together more effectively in a more transparent way to get these projects uh, across the line. If everything comes together here, uh, we can definitely deliver. Okay, Wanda. Well, there are so many actions that uh, that um, that needs time to be that that are uh, that need time to be implemented. But there are also so many uh, so many things that we can do. I mean, policymakers on the European and the national level can do now, and it will take no more than a few months. And uh, uh, I mean by that uh, legislative changes, and um, you know. Um, Average installation process take, uh, takes less than three, uh, three years uh, when it comes to offshore wind farms, but formal process can, uh, can exceed even 10 years because, you know, it's a planning, it's a permitting process, AIA decision, and then, you know, tender procedures. And um, actually, there are so many, so many, so many overburdens uh, throughout this path uh, that we could easily get uh, get rid of uh, actually i think that, um, that, that 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 this is you know long hanging fruit to be uh, to be picked uh, to, 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 to shortening the whole administra admi administrative processes, administrative this, this, the permitting that we started to talk about. But also, for example, my company, I only recently realized that it's not, uh, we are not solely um, uh, so, so, sole here, I mean standalone here, uh, because uh, we are listed, private listed company that is state owned as well. So we are operating under procurement law regime. So we are Con, uh, conducting tenders as administration, according to administration public tenders regime, you know that, and it's uh, and it extending process to enormously, and it's completely unnecessary. What we need here is to uh, conducting tenders in a transparent and competitive way, but not as the administration does it, you know. So, for example, you know, bearing in mind that these are investments which are. Of kind of a public purpose investments, well, we should probably get out of the procurement law regime. It would be very easy and it would bring a lot of benefits, uh, not only for, uh, you know, Polish state-owned company, but other state-owned companies across European unions, because so many investors are state-owned companies, so they are under operating under uh, procurement, uh, procurement, uh, procurement law procedures. Thank you. Not an obvious point. Well made. And the, Morten, I'm conscious of your time here, so I want to uh, just move to the idea Ursula von der Leyen talks about the, winds, the wind manufacturing being made in Europe and, and how difficult that's going to be and the competitive element that we have with the United States, in particular with the uh, IRA um, elements. How do you see Europe succeeding or failing at this? And do you think these are nice words from Ursula von der Leyen, or is this a realistic proposition? Well, um, so if, if you add up all the, the, uh, all the funding via uh, uh, recovery packages and what have you, I mean, we, we are at a European level, 
if you add all this up, we, we are uh, a matching and, and uh, uh, what, what the Americans are, are providing. Uh, challenge, obviously, being the tax incentives and rebates. Uh, I mean, that they are uh, transparent, uh, they're predictable, uh, they work fast. It's all that we're not able to deliver from the European side that they do like this. So clearly we have to, to think uh, and, and develop new ideas on, uh, on, on governance issues, on funding issues. I think for the upcoming, for, for the next mandate, for the next commission to think uh, along those lines in terms of, of your innovation fund, uh, sovereignty fund, what have you, where you somehow align funding with the incentive to implement uh, the directions of regulations that we already adopted. Because we lack implementation in so many areas. So I think it would be great to, to have, uh, say, new ideas on somehow linking these funding mechanisms, developing new ones as well, but link it to the implementation of what we actually actually adopted already. If that were to happen, then, then I could see a positive narrative rather than where we are right now, where you have a lot of, of skepticism on, on some of the clean, uh, green and, and, and energy issues uh, that we're debating in, in Parliament or in Europe at large, with EU is coming and imposing bad stuff on, on, on member states, right? So uh, I think in order to develop a positive narrative, uh, th this could be uh, an important feature of, of also the upcoming election campaigns. I mean, let the political groups and parties compete on also positive narratives on how to maintain clean tech industry production in, in, in Europe, because we need it for, for, for climate objectives, obviously, but also in terms of job creation. Okay, I, and just finally on, on that for you, you've got China in the mix here as well, and the subsidies that, that, that apply there. But the United States also has an issue, it has an election next year, the, the possibility, perhaps increasing possibility, that uh, a, a Trump administration would return, which would not be climate friendly, which would not be supportive of this industry, which would almost certainly roll back uh, IRA as well. Do you think that in that context, Europe looks like a better investment uh, field because it's more stable? Slower, yes, but more stable. Ooh, big question. Uh, I, I don't see the IRA is not going to be rolled back because uh, it, it benefits a lot of also Republican-leaning states. Uh, so I, I don't see uh, I don't see this being rolled back, but but this is uh, speculative. Uh, I would love to see Europe being uh, that competitive that investors would flock to Europe okay. in order to develop further. But so clearly this has to be the ambition, uh, a common ambition of this, and part of this is obviously also to protect critical industries and and, and consider this clean tech industry with uh, offshore and onshore wind being a vital part of this, to consider this to be of, of overriding public interest. Okay. Uh, so this we clearly have to, to push for. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate uh, you coming in. I know you have to run off now as well, so thank you for that. And let me bring the question to you and then to, to Pierre. The same context, you know, can we do this in Europe? Do we have the capacity, do we have uh, the reserve to do this now, or is this a, a made in Europe a, a wish list for the future? How does the Belgian government see this? I think, to be honest, now is the time that we can still keep the business in Europe and not see it go away like we did with solar. So I fully support it, and we do have a wall, I think, also from from uh, from member state side, but also from European side to to get actions. And I think. Uh, the wind power package is, is certainly a very good step, keeping the information here, keeping the data here, um, so that also innovation is um, being pushed forward in uh, Europe. Um, of course, I think also coming to the next uh, European presidency, we do need to look forward in, in terms of more long-term planning to make sure that this production stays here. 
um, also providing for the necessary market to do so. And then tender criteria is, I think, also one of the major steps that, that we can bring um, as governments, but also the, the regulatory framework. And I would also like to come back to the fact that, indeed, we cannot afford any tenders being missed because we do see inflation costs rising, we do see financing costs rising. At the other hand, we had an evolution of a lot of member states into the negative bidding. Um, and of course, we, we do need to have the capacity installed at a certain moment, um, which was also one of the reasons why in, in Belgium we did decide for a two-sided CFD to give the investment security um, so that we can really assure the investment being installed. Uh, which I think will be an attention point for a lot of member states within Europe to keep the promises that we also made in, in the recent Austin uh, declaration as well to go to the 300 gigawatts of offshore wind in the North Sea. And um, yes, perhaps negative bidding, I'm, I'm not very fond of neither. Uh, it, it has other consequences. Of course, we do need to make sure that the potential of offshore wind is not necessarily in those countries where the real demand mm is in terms of the, the industry or in terms of the electricity demand. So we really need to make sure that there is an incentive for those countries to install the full potential in the benefit of Europe, having the grids as a first initiative, making sure the grids are there, that are financed by Europe, because also in the member states we, we will have lines crossing the countries um, and it's difficult to get permits also for your own electricity lines, let alone for other member states. So we need to find a European answer to this. Okay, very clear. Pierre, and then Wanda. Yeah, no, I just wanted to come back to this point that Morton was making on, 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 on the EU versus the US, the US IRA, and what we're doing here in Europe. It's true. Yeah, there's a lot of funding and financing uh, in, in Europe. Uh, it's just very hard for entrepreneurs to, to actually access them and, and to operationalize that. Yeah, so... Uh, there needs to be a clear, a clear focus uh, on making this uh, accessible and result-oriented going forward. And, and that will certainly help um, uh, the narrative for the European elections. It's about, okay, uh, you know, delivering for Europeans. That, that, that needs to be the, uh, the, the sole focus. On European manufacturing, there's that angle, of course, you know, supporting the supply chain. But also, if, if we have you know, the market at the right scale, you know, 30 gigawatt per year, uh, then, of course, uh, Europeans will be able to, to invest in the supply chain and, and, and to deliver. That's, that's very clear. What's very important, and Dita, Dita explained this extremely well, is that there, there's more to it than, than jobs. Jobs are incredibly important. They're part of the license to operate for, for, for the wind sector, uh, creating an opportunity for, for Europeans. But there's also a security angle here, right? We bring in Chinese technology connected to the grids, uh, we expose ourselves to more vulnerabilities. The last thing that we want is to replace our dependence on, you know, Russian fossil fuels with the with with the dependence on uh, on Chinese technology. Yeah, and so this is exactly the right moment to walk the tightrope and and to make sure that that happens as as we go through this, you know, challenging periods but manageable periods okay. into 2030. Thank you, Wanda. I need to refer to that actually because I'm really less optimistic when it comes to uh, when it comes to implementing uh, new requirements when it comes to the security. You know, last two years I was observing how um, cyber security requirements were being negotiated and uh, ultimately pulled to the um, to, to 5G auction for frequencies in Poland. You know, it took us three years. Uh, to 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 like set the the bunch of requirements which were applicable and which were first uh, sufficient but 
but also applicable by the market. So, you know, actually, I do welcome what was in the package uh, in, in terms of uh, cyber, secu uh, cyber security requirements, but we need to bear in mind that it will take a long time to come up with a cl like clear solution, because now there is like an approach, right? We need to take care of this one. Uh, but you know, now we need to work on details, and that will that will take uh, that will uh, that will take time. Um, what I wanted to point out, like so, so, so I'm concerned that it's another slowdown that that will that will result in slowing down the whole the whole processes. But of course, that is also necessary, and uh, we are all aware of that. Uh, but what I uh, what I also wanted to point out that um, you know to meet twenty. The 2030 target, uh, wind target set by 135 governments across uh, across the world. Uh, actually, we would have to build in 2029 over 66 gigawatts of new installed offshore capacities, and in 2030, additional 70. These are the data that I got from uh, Wood McKenzie. Uh, and you know, just to put you in a picture, like uh, between two, uh, 2015 and 2021 annually, there was an increase of three gigawatts in offshore wind farms. So you can see that there is enormous effort not only on the side of uh, the investor, but also on the supplier side, who reported, as Dita mentioned already, uh, who re uh, recently are reporting um, uh, losses. So uh, the question, the, the question mark, is whether they will be able to cover our demand, because we are uh, competing strongly between between investors, between ourselves, because the demand is huge, so the prices are increasing not only because of the interest rates and not uh, not only because of the inflation, and uh, but because the uh, the demand is 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 skyrocketing and the suppliers not on, not able to cover it and will not able to cover. So the question is whether we will be able to deliver 2030 target when it comes to offshore. Okay, thank you. I want to respond then, uh, Georg, and then we could take some questions from the audience as well. Go ahead. Yeah, because I, I, I actually shared the concern in terms of uh, is the supply chain ready to deliver? So I think it is also useful that we do discuss in terms of standardization if that would be a way forward. Of course, taking into consideration that innovation also still needs to happen. But um, somehow giving a view to the supply chain that there is there are these projects, there are certain limits, frameworks that they will work in so that they can actually invest in new production capacities um, that will make money in the end because the, the innovation went too fast. Uh, there's also a, a lot of costs, uh, children's diseases um, that, that they have suffered, which we need to benefit now from a maturing technology. Um, so I, I would say it's, it's, it's um, a call to industry perhaps who is best served to determine these boundaries. Um, we are more than willing to cooperate also in view of the, the next presidency. Um, to, to see if we can do something for standardization to move that forward. Okay, thank you. Georg, I wanted to ask you just uh, on the auctions as well in the context of, of Made in Europe. Do you see the, the redesign of the auctions process as a soft form of protectionism where the qualitative elements are really designed to keep out low-cost bidders, low-cost quality and competitively disadvantaged um, China, for example? Suggestive question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I mean, as, uh, as the question suggests, uh, indeed there is a significant risk here. I mean, if you read the uh, the package document, mm -hmm. if you hear uh, uh, the director general, I mean, kind of 
emanates <coughs> from that that uh, that there is a uh, that there is an element of uh, keeping uh, somebody out of the uh, out of the market and if it's done for um, for good reasons and for uh, for very clearly defined reasons then uh, we need to continue with us but we need to be very careful that we not create a bureaucratic monster if we will think that we uh, that we really get out of the uh, uh, out of the Deployment that we are then getting the value that yeah. we uh, so not uh, again the, the terawatt hour as such is not the value the value is getting the terawatt hour that somebody can can really consume and uh, what I s I would like to highlight on, on that is the um, the utilization of those standards and maybe the, the good part of that is that uh, if we are discussing that now here in Brussels it's much better than with uh, member states directly discussing that and that the uh, that the that the market fragments. So maybe we are in a second best world, but the risk would be a third best world, and therefore uh, yeah, we, should, we should try to, to make that happen. And maybe one point coming back sure. to, uh, to, to, what, uh, to what Anne said, because I think it's the, it's the crucial thing. I mean, it's the value of the internal market. We, with wind, wind is very location specific, and not everybody has good wind sites, and, uh, but everybody would like to, to benefit and can benefit from, uh, from the value that wind can the grids and we need a market to us on a European level. We need this Europeanization in order to, to let this, um, this, this, this promise really really arrive. And then you come on the, on the auction design side a bit away from purely thinking about the pre-qualification, uh, but also about kind of what is essentially the cash flows that are promised in okay. those auctions. And here, should we really cut uh, with CFDs all the uh, uh, all the revenues when wind produces when electricity is scarce? Uh, does that not encourage wind production in places that might not be optimal? Okay. Uh, how can we ensure that uh, that really our market design is geared to extract most of the value from wind to be able to produce at the right location where the demand is at the at the right time when the demand is and Again, not only focus on the terawatt hour. Okay, Pierre and then Anne. Well, if Anne wants to respond specifically to that, yeah, I defer. Very generous. Um, yes, just because I, I don't fully agree in the fact that um, we will need offshore wind or wind and solar in general. I, I'm, I'm not, um, uh, I don't think we will have in the situation that we will have too much, basically. In the end, in terawatt hours, we will need everything. Um, and I think there's other solutions, preferably in terms of flexibility, in terms of storage, demand-side management, um, other capabilities that we need to develop to solve that problem rather than slowing down the installation rate, because that we will need for the security of supply. So I, I would consider it a bit from a different perspective, other than the fact I fully agree that this European grid, that's really the way to go to also have the energy efficiency for Europe in mind and also landlocked countries um, or countries with less um, potential of wind should also benefit from electrification, from energy savings, which otherwise would be driven towards hydrogen, for example, not necessarily in those applications that would be in the best interest of Europe. So really a Europe question. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, um, no, a short reply. Eric, it's turn, don't worry. Um, I, I agree, um, but we, we need to have a clear visibility on this complementary system before, because otherwise the players that are going to invest would not be sure that they are getting getting their money out, out of those investments. If they don't know that there is enough storage and enough grid 
being made available, then they are not going to invest because the cash flows are looking very bad if all the wind in the North Sea starts to just cannibalize itself. So, um, and for that, we need more European planning. And the, the NECP process currently is not working well. We need something to be sure that we can, between member states, coordinate on network development and generation development so that the investors have some clarity on what complementary system is in place to assess whether what they are going to produce, wind in a very specific profile, is having value or not. Yeah. You're getting at the, the issue of the stewardship of, 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 of the energy system and how we, how we plan uh, the electricity grid. Right now, you know, the, the, the grid planning system is broken. Uh, it's, it's not long term. It's not super joined up. Uh, and it needs to be revised fundamentally as part of the next uh, mandate. The boundary conditions are that if you want to go to net zero, you need to double in size the electricity system. And you need the electricity uh, grids to go along with that. And we need to be making the investments uh, already now in order to, to make that work. Um, in that context, every gigawatt of offshore wind that we can get online today, we should take it. Yeah, because we're going to need a lot of decarbonized uh, electricity in order to make that whole construct uh, work. I just want to come back to your, to your earlier question about um, uh, pre-qualification and non-price criteria. The pre-qualification criteria and the non-price criteria will be completely transparent and non-discriminatory. Yeah? If international competitors can't be bothered to make the necessary investments to meet you know, cybersecurity or sustainability requirements, so be it. Yeah? We as, European, as Europeans do that already. It's only fair to be recognized for it. Very fine. Uh, I was with B uh, President Biden when he announced the IRB, uh, package, and he has no shame about saying America first. It is uh, unabashedly, we don't care what else you do. We will do this, and it'll be our money, and our, our economy will benefit from it. And it, it strikes me that we're a little shy about saying that about Europe still, and that this messaging will probably get buried somewhere during the course of the election as well. Let's take some questions. Unless you want to reply to any yes, of this? I yes, won't. I I need to. I, I, thought you I cannot resist the temptation, you know, actually, because, you know, I, I feel that to some extent this discussion is a little bit abstract because you are talking about the system, the, you know, revising the system while, while at the same time there are very, like, daily struggle that the companies uh, have. And when uh, what I mean by that, for example, when it comes to the grids, guys, uh, if you want to revise the system, first the grids need to be there, you know, and it's super, super difficult for us, for example, to uh, to buy all like to buy components to adjust the grid, to modernize the grid, to build new one. You know, it's like it's 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 an enormous struggle that I don't think that I mean like that that, that our listeners and. Uh, uh, all of the policymakers are fully aware of, for example. I remember there was a time like a year ago or a little bit around it um, that when Ukrainians, because my company owns 40% of distribution network in, uh, in Poland, and this is the east part of Poland, so we cooperate uh, uh, strongly with uh, Ukrainians, and that was the moment when their infrastructure was uh, under a huge, huge, huge attack, uh, energy infrastructure, and they, they, was, they were begging us to provide them some transformers, and we were like, we have none. We have none. It's impossible to buy. 
it's impossible to buy, you know, so we need to wait. And every time we get one, we are able to, 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 uh, to successfully buy some, uh, some new devices, new products. You know, we already know where to install them and we know what to do with those that were there previously, you know, where, where to move them. So uh, actually, I'm still underlying and stressing the fact that we, we have to, before we like, or maybe parallelly to like revising the system, we need to take care of the components manufacturing here in Europe. We need to provide subsidies to bring it here, to, to build it, these capacities, because as I said, demand will be huge. Demand, in, uh, demand it is already huge. And you know, we can all take advantage from this, because when there is a manufacturing, when there are components from, uh, from, from Europe, this kind of local content, everyone, taking advantage from it, you know, new job places, uh, shipping industry benef uh, benefiting from, uh, from it, for example, when it comes to offshore. Uh, you know, just these are the organic issues that, had to be uh, that, uh, that have to be tackled. Uh, otherwise, we can just, you know, discuss about revising, uh, revising the system, but the still you know, for example, the grids will be, it will be, it will be impossible to connect to, to connect to the grid because we will not be able to, to, to build a new part of, uh, of the network. So this is the, these are the, the most like fundamental things to be taken, uh, taken care of. Yeah. You would agree that if you don't start the process, both sides of this uh, now, then it takes too long to bring uh, the, the manufacturing capacity on for, for both. So you need, you need all those dimensions moving forward right now. Yes, yes, of course, there is no need okay. to wait, right? Okay, let's take some questions. Uh, so, Irina Kostova from SEPS, with all the challenges lying ahead for the wind industry, how do you view the prospects of offshore wind and lower wind speed areas, for example, the Black Sea and Mediterranean, both in terms of the business case and the advancement of Class 2 and Class 3 uh, bottom fixed floating technologies? Who wants to have a go at that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Floating is, is clearly going to play a, a very significant role. Uh, I mean, historically, we've seen a lot of developments uh, around the North Sea, um, uh, in the Baltic. Uh, but I mean, offshore wind is going to be a pan-European story. And if, if you want to reap uh, the benefits of wind in the Mediterranean with deeper waters, then floating is going is to play a key role there. Um, Again, we need to see the same development that we've seen for, flo uh, for floating as we've seen for bottom fixed. That requires, you know, uh, uh, big signals, big investment signals from governments with, you know, uh, pilot auctions. We're starting to see them in France and elsewhere. Uh, and so we're, we're, we're at an important pivot moment here for, for floating. Thank you. Anyone else on this? <laughs> Excellent. Okay, uh, next question is from Anna. Anna says, there's a growing discontent among some Europeans regarding wind power investments in their close neighborhood fast and massive deployment will only make this problem bigger. What is your strategy to address public opposition against the wind investments? I think this gets to permitting as well. But, but you mean public op uh, opposition, which is like... Yeah, public opposition. Society opposition, or I would say, in the, I would understand that in terms of planning applications for uh, permitting, it would come to that. Would it not be? Well, you know, th that's actually, you see, when it comes to this uh, legislative gorset, we are in charge. I mean, Europe is in charge. National policymakers are in charge. They can easily get rid of any excessive burdens and bureaucracy burdens. Uh, you know, I can tell you from our also our perspective that uh, we have one project offshore wind farms, which is constrained by a decision. 
and for example we cannot uh, enhance um, like effectiveness of this project uh, because of constraints of AI decision well we could we could revise a decision, but it would, you know, take time, a lot of time, and it will be, uh, it will take a huge risk also. So, um, you know, why, why we cannot take care of these kind of things, you know, to be tackled, and then, like, you know, effectiveness of the project will be better. And you, Piesta. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's an important part of the equation, of course, um, and. and the other thing is developers you know, know it's part of their DNA that they need to engage the community early, be extremely transparent, involve them, uh, and, and help co-develop uh, uh, the project. And that, that's how you address it. That's how you bring you know, the general popularity of renewables, you know, 70%, 80%, depending on the country, to, 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 to the local level. Another important point to keep in mind is that you know, the number of turbines is, is not linear right? Uh, with, with the gigawatts. You repower a project. Um, which are often in the best wind sites, you actually have fewer turbines than before and you make more, more electricity as a result, right? So, so it's, 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 a dynamic, uh, it's a dynamic development. But clearly engaging people, people to people is critical here. Because now I realize that I uh, haven't uh, that, that, that I haven't responded to the to, to the question directly. Um, I, I didn't get that, honestly speaking. Um, but I can tell you from our uh, experience that, for example, in Poland, uh, we can see a like huge opposition against uh, against uh, renewables installation. Like we we don't we we can still see when it comes to nuclear. Yeah. But for example, when it comes to renewables, slightly to be seen. You know. So 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 I think that it's uh, in Poland at least it's not an issue. Okay, and. Uh, I think it is an issue within Europe, and I think also specifically in Belgium we are very densely populated, so every turbine will pose issues, every overhead line, every reinforcement of the grid will have its issues. But of course, it's, it's still important to get everybody on board in the energy transition and explain very well why it is needed, why it is needed also for their own security of supply for other reasons. So we do need to get them on board. And it is actually one of the reasons why in the Belgian tender we have focused on citizen participation trying to include this renewable energy company, uh, renewable energy communities, which uh, the European Commission has, has launched as, as idea, trying to get that integrated in the offshore wind projects, uh, trying to really put that forward as an added value, as a local added value, um, and what we hope uh, okay. it will succeed. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, maybe one thought on that is kind of the, the sharing of the value of the uh, of the, uh, the kind of decide in the end. And uh, here we are back also to this negative pr uh, negative uh, auction prices. I mean, there is a there is a big question. If you have a good site and you put a wind turbine there, you're going to potentially make a lot of money out of that. And the question is, who is going to to get that? Is that going to the the landowner? Is that going to uh, to the state through negative? Um, uh, uh, auction price is that going to uh, to the commune, and um, potentially that is that is a very hard to uh, to uh, to resolve question because it's very dynamic. In one location you're getting kind of a high value, in another location you're getting getting very uh, very different values from that. Maybe taxation rules and, and redistribution is better, but uh, I think it's a it's a it's a it's a crucial element for the uh, for the longer term energy development. Yeah, and her it exists, you just need to implement it. So there is a solution available.
Yeah, just to be on the record, uh, I know you're not saying that, but uncapped negative bidding is not the solution for value sharing. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, it's not the solution because it it, it it presses the supply chain, which is which is struggling, uh, and those costs need to be passed on to somebody, right? So um, yes, we need to continue being creative uh, in 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 you know in in the solutions that we find on on, on value sharing. But uncapped negative bidding, which results in projects not being made, well, there are no electrons, there are no revenues, there's nothing to share. Yeah. Okay. Next question is from Sabine Sluters and said, uh, Today was announced that Siemens Energy needs state warranties to secure the capital it needs and to fulfill its order book. The German government decided to help the company with a warranty of 7.5 billion euros. You state it's all about action now. How does the European Wind Action Plan help this case? Georg, you smiled most. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a super challenging question because it kind of goes to the, to the heart of industrial yeah. policy and do we, uh, do, we, do we help the incumbent? Is it the, the right thing to, uh, to bail somebody out that, uh, that did some, uh, some clear uh, business and, and management mistakes and, and what signals does that provide for the future? What does it tell to the competitors that, that might have... Uh, might have done uh, done better. So I think the uh, for the for the ministry in, in Berlin it was probably a very very hard uh, discussion and a decision to be uh, to be taken. I understand that in the in the, in the, in the bigger picture of uh, of things it seems to be the uh, the right way. But uh, let's see whether it's going to be challenged in, in Brussels and, and what will will come uh, come out. Thank you, Pierre. The wind power package is about creating the right conditions in the medium term for all those companies to, to succeed. At the end of the day, uh, our wind turbine manufacturers are the crown jewels yeah, uh, of, of the Green Deal. Uh, we need you know, to make sure that they're in a position to succeed in this challenging period so that we deliver on our climate and, and, and uh, energy security objectives. Thank you. Anyone else in this? Well, I do understand this approach actually to, to you know to support companies and to, to support industry. Without without this kind of support, it will be impossible to carry so many projects. For example, you know our offshore wind farms, uh, if they were not covered by the CFD, uh, CFDs, uh, there will be like it would be impossible to 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 to, uh, to to have them. So you know it's like I think we are getting into the times where there will be so many subsidies and public guarantees needed on the market. Sure. I mean, the challenge is a bit, if you look into the cost of the transition, the investment-related cost, you're easily ending up with, with two or more percentage point of GDP. Okay. The question is, should that all be underwritten by the state or is that to the, to the, to the private sector? And I mean, the decision in Europe is we, we leave it largely to the private sector, but we need to make sure that, uh, uh, yeah, that, uh, that we find this have a clearly defined boundary because otherwise yeah. there is a slippery slope. Uh, Gerico, wouldn't you think that you say this is a difficult decision clearly for Berlin to make? Is that not a, a vote of confidence in the sector itself that they're prepared to make that decision to, to underwrite it? Um, <laughs> I, 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 I would have to ask the, the colleagues in, uh, in Berlin what they, uh, what they think about that. But uh, I'm, uh, I mean, if they're, if they're very vote of, uh, of Full confidence, then, yeah. uh, then the, the state guarantees would not have been uh, would not have been needed. But I'm, uh, I know too little about the the concrete okay. to uh, to really. 
Fair enough. Um, Thomas Hugen, what role is foreseen for offshore hydrogen production and pipelines to help alleviate grid congestion for offshore wind producers? It's a bit off tangent, but we'll take it on. Any comments on that? Anne? Well, sorry, go. No, I can, I, I can take this one. Of course, there will be a surplus of energy and from, from the offshore, so we will be uh, we will analyzing right now the project to convert it to hydrogen, but it's not very effective for now. Uh, so, so, so we will continue to scrutinize, but uh, we will need to take care of uh, of this issue. Otherwise, we will like you know contribute to uh, to to lowering spot prices, make them even negative. Okay. You know? So we need to like make it effective. Use it effectively. Thank you. Yeah, just I think also hydrogen will be part of the solution. We just need to be careful that it's not an excuse because we can't seem to have the grid installed. We need to have the grid installed. There's no excuse for it. Um, and then hydrogen is for sure playing its role, um, but not instead of the other. Okay. And um, just wanted to maybe take this as a follow up to our discussion earlier on. Uh, the European market. Aren't you afraid, Anna says, that the potential protectionist measures, use the word protectionist clearly there, Georg, you see that, and made, it, uh, made in Europe policies would result in higher prices for European wind turbines and components, at least in the short to medium term, given the interlinked nature of the global wind supply chains. So basically, Europe's going to have to pay more because we're being protectionist about this whole thing. Is that fair? It's not fair because it's not protectionist. Fair enough. Okay, and I would, I would go ahead. respond. It's, it's, I, I think as long as we value an added value, yeah. then there's no protectionism involved. Others are free to follow. So I think you made your point very clear, and I would support. Very well. And Sabine, so last question. So please send more questions. We'll do another round of questions in just a few minutes. Uh, the focus is on the targets for building a GW of wind farms, but it's still a market. Offshore wind also very much needs a concrete and steady growth and demand for green electrons and green molecules, hydrogen. Uh, how will the EU wind package see to this growth and concrete demand? So how is the package going to stimulate demand? I mean, the package needs to be, I think, seen in a broader set of, of policies. The package is, is really targeted, you know, at a specific challenge at a specific moment. Uh, at the same time, and, and Dita explained this extremely well, you have other, uh, you, have, you have legislation in place, such as the Renewable uh, Energy Directive, yeah, which has very specific targets, for example, for, for renewable hydrogen. Uh, which has very specific targets for uh, decarbonizing transport with, uh, with renewable electricity. So um, that needs to go in tandem, but of course the legislation needs to be implemented. That's the okay. key. And? I think at most of the industries that, that we see, there's no lack of demand. They really want to green. And I would say in terms of the electricity market design, also the fact that we want to stimulate much more the PPA, the use of PPAs, getting the industry to have direct um, access to the renewable electricity, which is also something we try to implement in our tender design in Belgium to get that access towards uh, PPAs, um, is one of the ways to get them connected in a direct okay. manner. We've kind of skimmed across this, but I want to do a little bit more detail on fast track permitting as well. So this is clearly one of the, the six elements that uh, the, the wind package is looking at. How do you see fast track permitting um, accelerating this process? Hugely. Why? Why? Because it's the longest process in the whole process. I mean, permitting is like the 
is is the slowest process that we are, you know, also the tenders that I mentioned already. But mm -hmm. permitting also and uh, and the fact that we are um, that we are conducting these uh, these processes, you know, as a waterfall, you know, like IT projects, you know, step by step, and the step uh, the constraints from the previous steps are you know, limiting us in the future. So uh, making this faster and more, flex more flexible, at the same time more predictable, is the key to the success, for sure. Thank you, Pierre. We've been talking a lot about offshore wind, but their onshore wind is gonna have a, a key role to play here. And let's keep in mind that a lot of the permitting processes across Europe are still heavily paper-based, yeah? Um, we, we had one of our board members tell us a, a few months ago, I just had to sign off a purchase order for 40,000 euros in printing costs because we had to, you know, print dozens and dozens of copies of our permit application for the local authorities. So you can imagine this guy in a wheelbarrow, you know, wheeling paper around to go to the permitting authorities. This, this, is, this is unfit for 2023. It's unfit for the challenge of, you know, uh, of, of, of decarbonization. Um, there are solutions. We have been working with Europe, with Amazon Web Services, Accenture, to develop a, a permitting tool um, that basically um, do, takes all of this uh, online. It's uh, allows... permitting prime, right? Sorry? Permitting prime. Permitting prime, that's a good name for it. We call it easy permits, yeah. Um, and we're, we're very hopeful that with the support of the European Commission, national governments and permitting authorities can pick this up. Um, and actually implement this uh, very quickly, it, it could be a game changer yeah, in, in the process. How does AI layer in with that, if that's not too far ahead? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's definitely going to, uh, well, so I don't know the degree to which AI is already embedded in the project, but it's, it's a platform that you can bolt things onto. Uh, yeah. And clearly, the community engagement is also covered uh, in that context, and artificial intelligence will, will play a role there. Uh, so that you can you can visit a virtual wind farm, see how it's going to you know impact your surroundings, uh, and that makes it much easier to embrace a project if you see okay, well I, I thought there would be you know um, a, a flicker effect, I thought it would be this noisy or what have you, but actually I've experienced this. Um, I kind of actually kind of enjoyed it. It's cool. I'm going to show my friends uh, when when they visit. Uh, it, it again a game changer. Thank you, Gear. Um. Maybe switching from AI a bit to, to data. Sure. Um, I mean, for me, the kind of if you want to build an industry or a kind of rebuild, recreate an industry, you need long-term predictability of, of demand. And uh, to energy policy is something that is very, very volatile over the past years. And we need to somehow give guidance. We don't want state planning that decides today what the power system in 2050 uh, uh, should look like. We want markets to do that. But we need some vision on, uh, on the direction of travel, and we need to have very kind of sophisticated discussions on how the different pieces of the puzzle fit to each other, because it's complicated. I mean, you need to have, uh, in, in certain hours, you want to have electricity, and the wind, and the sun sure. is not there, and, and the storage, and what have you. So I, I would very much call for kind of really stepping up on the, on the data, modeling, monitoring side on a European level that we need some sort of, of agency that, that, uh, that collects that, because that is increasing the level of the, of the debate, um, the quality level, and that helps us to, uh, to kind of provide much clearer guidance to, uh, to industry that this is really within the, the room of scenarios that are, that are currently, uh, currently uh, thinkable. 
And then industry understands, okay, well, that's, that's maybe not the, the kind of the, the defined plan that we are having, but that's essentially the, the direction of travel towards, towards which we are working, which is certainly much better than, than just going for all individual CFD auctions that happen every, uh, every six months or so and, and kind of hoping from, from auction to auction that, again, there is, uh, that there is going to be volume. Because, we, I mean, industry needs to know what is in seven or ten years and not what is in, in, in six to, uh, to 12 months. Okay. Anyone else on this? Let's go to competitiveness. What are the main obstacles to competitiveness? I know we're touching some of these at the moment, but if you were to say that, that's the problem, what do, what do we deal with and what those win package addresses? I mean, it's all of the above, right? If you have the markets, if you have the visibility, mm. uh, the players will be competitive. Uh, they will adjust to, to, to the market signals. One thing that we haven't discussed much, but which is going to be crucial in the medium term, is going to be attracting new people to the industry. Okay. Yeah, Dita talked about younger people, but it's not only younger people. It's also people coming from other industries, potentially sunset industries, to work uh, in, in the wind industry. Uh, we assess that we need... 200,000 more people to join the wind industry in the next eight yeah. years. Uh, and so we have, to, we have to be extremely proactive in engaging them. Anne. I just want to make one statement that we are competitive now. Uh, I mean, also in Belgium, we have two of the largest worldwide installation companies at the top of their business. So we do have the competitors now. It's, it's, it's an order to keep them. But I just want yeah. to have a positive note that we are having very good businesses. Great. Uh, Baltic Sea, so you want to... Competitiveness is something that kind of you need to fight for every uh, every minute and every year. It's not something that you kind of lock in as a as a status quo. So, and what Europe is strong uh, at is high skilled stuff, capital intensive things, innovative things. And we we should not lock ourselves into a chasse that is kind of protected. But we need to see the future value of wind coming more from lower wind speeds in some region, being more granular, being better manageable. I mean, there is, okay. there is, a, lot of, there is a lot of value in, in, in kind of smartening this the stuff up that we in Europe can develop better than, than others. And we should not trying to kind of uh, become a sclerotic system of just producing massive amounts of, uh, of uh, 90 uh, or uh, 2010 wind turbines, but look ahead. And here, I think the... Uh, the wind package had relatively little talked about innovation, which I found uh, a bit of a missed, uh, missed opportunity. Rondo, why do you think of some little talk of innovation then? Why there is some... Yeah. I think because R&Ds, you know, uh, are, uh, first of all, difficult, you know, and you have to be very, uh, very persistent to um, when you are focusing on innovation because it takes time. It takes a lot of time to come up with something which is valuable. And it's so easy to give up. You know, uh, so there is this. Uh, I observe that uh, on, on, on our national level, that you know, after five years of or uh, of some R and D studies, you know, the the, the, the team uh, uh, hasn't come up with some bright idea. So you know, it was wasted money. You know, this natural yeah. natural uh, natural response to that was. You know, we we just wasted money, and so I think this like uh, this is the this is the main issue. We need to be aware that it will take a lot of time and it will take a lot of money, and you know some of these money will will be wasted. You okay. know, but at the same time, our uh, our uh, the, the, the people will uh, will learn a lot. So 
eventually they will come in the up with some. Of, yes, but also I, uh, this one comment about sure. this uh, about this competitiveness because you know I th I find that last years uh, on a European level were uh, were. Um, mostly covered by ideological debate over you know becoming green uh, being super ambitious and how to achieve these tar this uh, super ambitious targets and uh, how to accelerate achieving them at the same time there were other uh, there were other uh, uh, other states i mean china uh, that were taking advantage of Europe and, you know, pushing their uh, their production, putting their production here, selling as uh, selling our, as the, the, uh, their components, and you know, the, 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 I, I'm so so. This is the the moment of truth that we need to conf uh, that we need to uh, say it out loud and uh, honestly, you know, do anything to to not in a 20, 30 years wake up in a green Europe, yeah. but completely broke with our, with our citizens' money transferred to the United States, to China, and uh, completely dependent from, uh, from, from, from different economies. Green but broke is a great yes. slogan for next year's election. Excellent. Pierre. Yeah, that sounds pretty dystopian. We should try to, to avoid that now. <laughs> um, now. I just want to make the, the obvious point that the wind industry is incredibly innovative. Yeah. So if you look at offshore winds, yeah, 2022, the turbines installed were on average 8 megawatts. The turbines ordered were on average 12 megawatts. 2023, the turbines ordered are 15 megawatts. These are enormous machines. We're constantly you know, testing the limits of okay. physics here. Yeah? Um, so that's one thing. The other thing, wind power package has innovation. There's $4 billion in the EU innovation funds uh, for clean tech manufacturing. The call is starting now. Um, and it's, it's also an opportunity for, for the wind sector. Okay, just uh, we're going to take a couple of questions, then we're going to wrap up in a few minutes. We've got 10 minutes left. Um, Baltic Sea, offshore Baltic Sea, what's the capacity, what's needed to get the investment there? Wanda. Well, um, you know, uh, Polish Energy Group already has like more than seven gigawatts in seabed's permits. And um, I mean, the total cap capacity of Baltic Sea fall, uh, falling on Poland is around 12, uh, 12 gigawatts, but at the same time there are assessments, AI by the way, okay. uh, <laughs> that the, the potential is, uh, is uh, much... Uh, <laughs> if somebody wants to run that through ChatGPT just there now, <laughs> we can get you another is answer. Much, is, is much bigger. Uh, so what do we need? I think that it has been already mentioned during the whole, the whole discussion, you know, uh, first we need suppliers that will cover our demand. Secondly, we need to have an access to financing. We need to have our projects bankable, which uh, current ones that we are already implementing uh, together with Orsted are because they are covered with the CFD. So it was like, you know, also I need to, um, I need to express kind of gratitude toward our government because uh, usually across the Europe governments are, governments are pretty reluctant to see that there is a need to increase the the state aid, but uh, our uh, but our CFDs, uh, thanks to legislative changes at the beginning of this year, are uh, indexed for inflation, and also government took a currency risk in this uh, in this project. So you know, it it was extremely helpful to put this, these business cases together, okay. and to so we are not in a, such a bad position are, as other investors across Europe. Uh, but I think it's uh, it's necessary also to be uh, to be recognized, but by, uh, by other governments. Um, 
so you know having this kind of support for another phase not only for those those projects those three gigawatts that we are ongoing in under the uh, that that are under ongoing investment but for the uh, the the second part these four that we've been only recently granted would be necessary like without this it's not impo it's impossible to to it will be impossible to deliver but through the auctions and okay. new, new requirements anyone else in Baltic and the potential the economically viable potential of the Baltic is is, is very significant it's okay. more than 90 gigawatts shallow waters you know strong winds uh, let's go get it farewell and and I would say not only looking from the, the local demand, but looking towards Europe, getting the grids, getting that interconnected to the rest of Europe yeah. and having Europe helping to actually manage the full potential is one of the critical points we want to drive forward in, in our presidency. Thank you. Question from Adrian. Uh, a question about an elephant in the room, which is critical raw materials that are needed to manufacture technologies and deploy more wind power supply chains are already congested. Any ideas on how to avoid problems here? Who wants to slay the elephant? <laughs> It'd be hard to slay the elephant, but just to, to note that uh, I think the Critical Raw Materials Act is really tackling all the right dimensions. Right? Okay. So French oaring, diversific uh, diversification of, uh, of, of, of imports, circularity, uh, making sure that we make the best use of our, uh, of our resources. And let's have an honest debate about what, it's, what is required to, to mine in Europe in a sustainable and, and socially acceptable way. Do we have the necessary materials in Europe to mine at the scale that's needed? So there's a lot uh, out there, yeah. So if you look at the impact assessments of, uh, of the CRMA, it's there. It's, it's more of a question of, okay, uh, what, do, what kind of decisions do we make as, as a society? Um, do we want uh, to be mining in Europe or do we want to be developing the international partnerships that make us, that, that don't help us decouple but, but de-risk uh, our supplies? Okay. How you know environmentally friendly are uh, you know uh, excra is excavating raw materials? You know, I mean environmentally friendly. I I say in yeah, ironically. But then some of our competitors are even less environmentally friendly as well. Yeah, so we have more true. control over that element. Uh, any other final questions to send us straight through right now? We're going to wrap up in a moment. Uh, you know, the the auction systems of permitting we, we've covered. The supply chain, the wind supply chain is also stretched and Ursula von der Leyen talked about the, the challenges that, that you're facing uh, as well. Uh, but you know, we've got inflation, all these elements, the, the, the cost of energy, all these elements feed into this process as well. You, you know, are we looking too much at high level and ignoring some of the economic realities that, that are on the table right now? Is that going to slow the process? Is that going to become the bottleneck if, if we don't get a grip on inflation and energy pricing as well? I think the rate of inflation right now in Belgium is around 1.5%. Okay. Um, so, but this isn't, that's not universal. No, 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 no. But what, 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 I'm, <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm saying is that we shouldn't, we shouldn't necessarily look at the, you know, the macroeconomic picture of today as, you know, uh, necessarily, you know, being, we're, we're, we're in a tight spot economically. Yeah. That's very clear. You know, post-COVID recovery has been very messy. Yeah. Uh, but let's lay the ground, uh, the groundwork and the foundations for, you know, the sector to be able to thrive, yeah? And by indexing auctions, by, by factoring in the economic realities in our policies, we can okay. do this. So trust the process. Yeah. All right. Let's do our wrap-up. Uh, 30 seconds or so for each of you, your final uh, sound bites as well. Anne, do you want to kick off again? 
Uh, Your takeaway for today? Yeah, I, um, I wasn't fully prepared to, to take. Uh, um, no, but for, for me, it's important. I think the, the, the win package is really a good first step. It really calls for action now. It puts the pressure on the issues that we do need to tackle together. Um, and I would say let's continue these discussions because it's not done yet. There are still this long-term um, plans that we need to make. There's, there's this cost-sharing CBAs. There's a lot of details to still work out and trying to get that on track on a long-term basis to really save the industry, to really come to the energy security of supply that we need currently in the European context. Um, I would say is for me the most important point coming also towards uh, the presidency. Thank you. Pierre? What I hear is, uh, is a representative of a national government, uh, a developer, a representative of, of, of the whole value chain and an economist basically agreeing on the big picture on the road of travel, right? And so let's, let's do it. Let's enshrine this in, in this wind charter that mm -hmm. Dieter Jürgensen talked about uh, and, and roll out all these actions. Thank you. Georg. Um, yeah, a bit of a generic Brussels statement, but I, uh, I think we, we really... We do love them. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Probably your editor crosses them out typically. Um, no, but the uh, the point would be that that we really need an, a functioning internal market to uh, that is very very competitive internally and and also externally to make sure that we have the weight here that. Uh, that market participants have the visibility and that we are not kind of fragmenting the system again into, into, into 27 small, uh, small bits, both on the electricity market as well as on the, uh, on the wind technology provider market side. So there is, I think, a significant risk here and keeping, keeping that together will be crucial to, uh, to meet the, the extremely high ambition that we also have for wind deployment. Thank you. Last word, Wanda. Well, um I think that this is a very good starting point, actually, that we are right now in, uh, that uh, the administration and policymakers are uh, became fully aware of what's going on here, of the you know other uh, other uh, other actors uh, in this uh, in this room taking advantage from us. So, as the awareness is the step, first step to everything, I will we are uh, we are already on a path. But what we do need, we need as strong cooperation between admin, between administration policymakers and the industry uh, and uh, a lot of understanding and support that is needed and also a lot of money <laughs> bring the cash thank you uh, to our panel and for to Dita also for her speech earlier i really appreciate it, it was a good discussion thank you all to our audience uh, for the participation and patience uh, today. Thanks to PGE for supporting uh, the program uh, today as well. You don't see them, but they're here uh, right behind me. Our team from Euractive, Zoran, uh, Pablo Wilson uh, on the production, and with uh, Tamara, who's the organizer today, as well with uh, Anna, uh, Shifra, and Sebastian, and some of the other team as well. So our thanks to them. The, the wind is behind us. Uh, the good uh, ship uh, Europe uh, can catch that wind in its sails. The future is bright. The foundations have been laid. Now we just need to put the cash on the table. Have a good afternoon. <laughs>